Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Contest Prep University. I'm Joe Klemzeski with Adam Atkinson, another one of our frat house edition pods. And uh, this one, I had a great conversation with uh, somebody that you and I both know, <clears throat> Adam, and this person who, who does view Contest Prep University had a great question about refeeds, calorie modulations, how we handle that and why. Uh, this particular person was a coach going through the National Academy of Metabolic Science. And as she was preparing for her, her exam, we were going through a practice case study. And just, by the way, flawless execution. This was a client of yours, so I expect no less. She just, I, I literally told her, I said, I don't think anybody out of hundreds and hundreds of coaches in more than five years has ever created a practice case study like you did for contest prep coaching. So just unbelievably great. And then just as an aside, after we were going through this information, she said, by the way, you know, this isn't something we covered in the case study, but if you've got somebody in a contest diet, how do you actually create the schedule, the amount, like, like when do you decide how much carbohydrate you would increase? Maybe how much fat, is it more of a cheap meal or free meal, or is it really tight? when would you do maybe two, two a week or one, um, you know, and she even referenced you and said, you know, here's what Adam has done for me in the past, which of course has worked great for me, but I'm sure I'm just one person. And, and this isn't like a, a template, which of course is true. So I just thought it'd be a great topic. I said, okay, time out. I'm not going to answer this right now with you. Like if you can, if you can sit tight for a day or two, Adam and I will, will do a, an entire show on this. So, you know, ju just with that as an intro, uh, I know there are a lot of variables, but but when you create any programming for any clients, how and why do you make any calorie modifications through the week? Yeah, it's a great question. So there's a lot of different ways you can go about it. I, I do like to start with psychology a bit for this one. Uh, just getting someone to stick to the plan is going to be the most important thing that you can ever do. And, you know, just recently I had a new, uh, a previous client of mine who had, you know, honestly gained a lot of weight in the off season and a lot of weight from our time apart together. And I, she mentioned that she was mentally struggling with um, her relationship with food. So granted, I think, her accountability to me is going to help. But I think if I push her too far, you know, we're, we're going from a contest prep to nothing close to contest prep to um, checking back in with a coach again. I really think she's just going to need those uh, bumps up in the road to uh, not feel so extreme the other direction, at least for right now. And then you can kind of tighten things up a bit. So uh, I actually didn't even give her a refeed. I actually gave her a cheat meal on the weekend because I think it's going to be closer to what she's doing now. Uh, sometimes you get people who are, you know, maybe uh, prep rescues where, you know, maybe their coach hasn't given them a refeed for a long period of time or at all, or their coach didn't even know what a refeed is because it's the same template for every client. And those are tricky because they haven't had a high carb meal in so long. So you don't know how they respond to it. It's not necessarily that they're carb sensitive, they're calorie sensitive because of all the metabolic suppression that they've been through. Uh, so there's a lot of different 
uh, contacts of clients, they're really going to make this different. And of course, with this being more geared towards contest prep, you know, typically as somebody does get leaner, they are able to have higher refeeds and handle more carbs throughout the process as well. So mm-hmm. you, you can take that into consideration. Likely the insulin sensitivity is going to be better. Uh, you know, they're going to get that leptin signal a little bit heavier since, you know, all the body fat stores are pretty much gone at this point. So uh, it, it really does uh, also depend on the person's body type and metabolism. So uh, I currently have a guy right now, we're just very gradually bringing him up. I had to grind him into the ground hard. And even just his refeed, so he's got to make a weight. We're bumping him away from that weight too much, but I got him lean enough. And now we're, we're not really doing refeeds. We're just slowly bringing his carbs up because I think a refeed in combination of that isn't going to work very well for him. Now, I haven't broke that news to him yet, so hopefully you won't see this podcast yet. But uh, yeah, it's uh, sometimes you have to be more gentle with people too. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I will say right now, because I know Jenna is going to be watching this, like, like stay tight. By the end of this, we'll, we'll get to some answers with almost formulaic, like amounts that you might want to do and so forth. But uh, I love that you started with, with psychology because I want to go back to the actual history and why these things even occurred. So I'm a product of bodybuilding in the 80s. You know, I grew up as a teenager looking at people like Lee Haney and and reading, you know, all we had back then was Flex Magazine, right? So there just wasn't the kind of information there is readily accessible now. And this is just what everybody did. You always had a cheat meal. Whatever kind of diet you're on, that was kind of your reward. And even when I started my consulting practice and I was working with general population clients, it seemed appropriate for those social and psychological breaks. And with with my education, even at that point in nutrition, I justified it by saying, well, it's also a good chance to kind of bump your metabolism up a little bit. You're going to, you're going to, you know, kind of, I would almost draw pictures of waves and so forth and talk about metabolic adaptation and suppression and come to find out with recent research in a long-term calorie deficit, one calorie increase per week, even, even if it's pretty, pretty large is not necessarily doing a lot for your metabolism. But some of the research being done now, at least initially, has looked at the fact that these these quasi-diet breaks, even in in part of the methodology now is perhaps not to use it as one meal, but maybe a clean carb increase throughout the day, just just dividing those, those calories up in a few different meals, maybe even doing that over an entire weekend. Of course, you know, diet breaks can be a week, two weeks, a month, whatever you, you may need it to be. But I, but now I think that the tide has turned where we're no longer talking about it as metabolic rescue of really any sort, but that psychological break, you know, getting that little pause where you need it. I will say though, that at least it is a chance to refill glycogen stores in a way that does increase training intensity for a couple of days. Uh, It certainly does, even more than psychologically, biologically tamp down hunger a little bit. So so my last contest season, maybe the last couple contest seasons before I retired, 
I, I would, for example, use a, a higher carb day on Saturday because Monday through Friday, my schedule is pretty tight. I, you know, this is my, my work schedule heading into the weekend where it's more family time and I, I don't have quite the routine and the structure. I have the temptation of being home with the kitchen and so forth. If I had those extra calories, those extra carbs on Saturday, I just felt great all weekend. You know, the, the hunger was down. I felt sated. So, so there really are a couple things to consider, but I also like that you said, Adam, that they're not even that necessary. I also have a couple of clients that it just seems to almost do the opposite. It stimulates hunger a little bit. It kind of knocks them off their game. And physically, they don't like the fact that their, their weight goes up a little bit because of the stored glycogen in water. And then they have to take a couple of days to see that come down. So it can help people psychologically, can also maybe hinder people psychologically, but, but at least that's the current understanding that we can no longer justify or hide behind the, you know, hey, we're going to have a really high day or high meal because it's going to help my metabolism. Probably not that much. Yeah. You know, I forget who said this, but it's a really good context. You know, if, if that were what really happened, if you're a caveman, you know, trying to survive and you don't have a meal for weeks, that means that your refeed meal from the dinosaur you just killed would spike your metabolism so much that then you would starve to death because you ate a large meal, right? So it, it doesn't really make sense in that context. And uh, I think I think a lot of people, and this is going to feel but like sound bad, a lot of people want that extra meal. So they want to justify it by kind of saying that. And that's not necessarily the case. Now, you you may need that meal just to increase training intensity. And your people that are very left-wing, maybe on never wanting to have a refeed, that's a really good time to say, you probably need this more than anyone else does, but maybe at a time where you're mentally able to handle it just a little bit more. And these might be the people that... Well, maybe if you're not doing a refeed, maybe we can get some more recovery by not training as frequently or as often, and that will be uh, really, really helpful. You know, I, I want to jump in real quick on what you just said about the, with the dinosaur metaphor, and and don't mistake this for the acute effect of food because we all know, but like I just had to fast for some blood work, right? So twenty or not twenty four hours, but about eighteen or so hours out food. And I noticeably was like colder, like I am dying. And, it's, and just like we know, like when you go eat at a Brazilian steakhouse or something and get the quote meat sweats, like, like, you, you know, when you're dieting, you have that really large meal, like, wow, my body is on fire. So you do have in an, an acute increase from just the thermic effect of food. But number one, you're getting those extra calories. So you're probably, again, at least storing some glycogen. So you're in a calorie surplus. You're not stimulating your, your body fat loss to a point where it's going to give you that tailwind and you lose even more. You're literally getting those symptoms and that increased TEF from the increased calories. So at best, if you control a higher calorie meal or day, you could, you could perhaps be in a net zero balance where you, you ate enough up to kind of maintenance levels, didn't necessarily synthesize any new energy. But again, it's not like it's stimulating your metabolism to just skyrocket for days or weeks or as you use the word, you know, rescue. Right, exactly. Yeah, I think uh, 
a lot of people, you know, they just, they really wish they were able to eat more. And it's just, I I also had a girl too. She was uh, very much into making the process easy. And, you know, she's like, I feel like my calories are getting awful low this far out. I'm like, well, what's going to happen if we raise them? She had done some diet called the vertical diet, which isn't even a diet. Um, it's more like a sales pitch to sell vertical beef jerky. But anyhow, she uh, ended up doing that. And she was just convinced that, you know, you could almost outscience this to a point where prep was easy. And, you know, you really have to dig. And as much as maybe it doesn't need to be as hard as, you know, what your coach is giving you, but at the same time, you, you are going to have to push and, you know, push that envelope pretty hard or else, you know, you can't really out science this to make it easy by any means. It's always going to be hard. Well, and that's a great point in that, I mean, it never fails. And somebody this week even mentioned, you know, I, I probably need to eat more to lose body fat, right, Joe? Like, yeah, you know, not really. That's not how math works biologically. <laughs> right. But uh, it, it brings up the point that, you know, why do we still do it then? And I want to transition into talking about some numbers because, you know, once again, you're in a calorie deficit for a very, very long time, 16, 20, 24 weeks. Um, I have a client who's lost 120 pounds right now and is still going. It's like, wow, like, you know, how do you monitor that and manage like what you're really doing from a metabolic adaptation perspective? And you look for these ways, especially in contest prep, people are willing to be very strategic and very methodical. So to say once a week or twice a week or on the weekend, like a five, two day split, you know, here's what we're going to do. And in the reason I would today still do a higher calorie, higher carbohydrate day is to, like I said, put more glycogen back into the muscle tissue, make sure you're feeling well through the week. We don't need it. As we're saying, you could, you could take your calories in those extra calories, divide them up through the week. So that just every day is a little bit higher and that's not a bad approach. Adam, you already mentioned that some people might actually do better by not having that calorie increase, but having a cardio decrease. So all of these things, as I like to call them, are calorie modulations. They're not necessarily increases, but what, what we end up doing is saying, okay, because you're being so aggressive and consistent and, you know, quote, good with your, your contest prep plan, we're going to have these days where you situationally have an increase in calories. And it is very dependent on the calorie intake already, the baseline for the client. It's also important to understand their body type. So I'm going to roll through a couple of different scenarios here. Uh, I have one particular client I can think of right away because he's, he's a heavyweight pro bodybuilder and just consumes a lot of food. So even, even in his lowest calorie weeks, he may be at 250 or so grams of carbs, 40, 50 grams of fats. You know, that would be pretty low for his calorie level. And he can withstand these increases. We need to go that low consistently to tap into body fat loss. You know, when you're liberating body fat from body fat cells, those lipids, you, you, you need that process to be consistent. You want to be in at least that, that acute, uh, um, 
you know, body fat loss zone where, where you're, you're becoming better and better at fat adaptation. So can you just ride that out continually? Of course you can, but our goal is also not just fat loss, it's muscle retention. It's lean body mass retention. Uh, you're probably in most situations, not going to be gaining lean body mass by any means. If you're a, if you're a qualified long-term competitor, somebody who's been lifting for years, but at the same time, you really do want to increase your ability to retain lean body mass. So this becomes almost a protective mechanism where you now have the ability to increase your, your calorie intake just, again, strategically and moderately, and then you can resume your body fat loss. This is where the amount matters. So, so to our, our listener or viewers question, you know, how do you know, how do you know how much, how do you know how often part of it is definitely anecdotal trial. If, if I think somebody like this client I'm describing who let's say he's eating 250 grams of carbs, a lot of coaches make the mistake of being very minimalistic. So they may say, okay, add 30 grams of carbs or add 50. I mean, it's just a drop in the bucket for somebody eating, you know, 2,500 calories. So I, I know right away for an average sized male competitor like him, you know, I'm looking at at least a hundred grams of carbs because that's going to be 400 calories, right? With a little bit of fat that may be uh, just, you, you know, anecdotally inside those carbs, you know, it could be another 10 grams of fat. So you're looking at, looking at about 500 calorie gain. That's probably moving him up to just a maintenance day's worth of food. And, and that's about my break point. I'm looking to bring people up to maintenance calories for one day at a time. If I'm going into a calorie surplus level, I, I could be risking, even though we're only talking ounces, gaining some body fat that then they have to turn around and lose again. And when you're in the process of losing body fat for a contest prep, who wants to re-lose part of what you just lost last week? So that's, that's my, it's almost like the Hippocratic oath, you know, first do no harm. First, let's not regain body fat we lost. We can talk about going right up to that edge. So, so keep that in mind as a benchmark. I'm going up to just that level that I could consider maintenance. And, you know, and then I'm doing that trial. I'm looking, saying, okay, well, he gained a pound and a half, two pounds overnight because of glycogen and water storage, because of intestinal mass, maybe sodium. And then if he can lose that again in a day or two, perfect. We're back. You know, that, that probably was an inconsequential, if any amount of fat gain whatsoever. I mean, probably not even an ounce or two, but, but now we're right back on track. And if there is any metabolic tailwind to that thermic effect of food, it, again, that's going to be very, very small, but you do see that new low again, that next week, that the perfect calorie modulation in an upward, higher calorie way for me would be mostly clean, high quality carbs, little bit of ancillary fat, something that the, the person would gain just a little bit of weight over a day or two and then be lost and then be right back into a new low. So if our goal for this particular client was losing about a pound, a pound and a half a week, if, if we messed that up in any way, because the food was just too high, then it was too high. That's, that's our answer. Uh, I, I will say that if somebody does have the advantage of being ready early, they don't have a lot of body fat to uh, lose over the course of their prep. We have enough time that we're going to be looking for a metabolic building phase and fine tuning phase. Then I, I often start people out with even a legitimate cheat meal. Like, you know, we don't have to 
track every single macro, go out and, you know, and, and it's usually something that we can consider a staple, something that is at least quantifiable, like go have a burger and fries or go have, you know, four slices of pizza and, and a beer or two or something. It, it's, it's not just go eat a bunch of sugar and crap and feel miserable and self-sabotage. It, it's something, again, that we can at least say, okay, this is what we can expect from it. And it's not throwing us off. You're, you're paying the price by those six and a half, six and seven eighths days of, of calorie deficit. You're tapping into body fat stores. You're getting deep enough into uh, glycogen depletion that this just gives us that refilling to, to get those better workouts, most of it being glycogen restorage. And then we're, we're still in the game for the next week of progress. Uh, but again, that's that's the maybe most liberal form of, of a calorie modulation where it's it's literally a cheat meal. And it, those are difficult to track anyway, but you know sometimes just tracked by the actual you know food itself. Um, the other way that you could go to the almost other extreme is when somebody says, okay, I'm having a refeed or I'm having a higher carb day, and they just add a couple rice cakes, or maybe they titrate that amount in through all their meals. So every single meal, let's say it's five meals for a, a moderately sized and metabolically, um, um, you know, set female. So let's say eating 12, 1300 calories, and maybe they've got a 50 gram carb increase. Maybe that's what we've decided is appropriate. Well, if you're adding 10 grams of high quality, clean carbs every single meal for a day, again, I don't even think you're going to see that much of a difference. I don't know if they're going to feel that much better. I don't know if that's going to give them better training for a day or two because of glycogen storage. So I typically like to start out, depending on how high I go with these calorie increases, to, to make it one meal. You know, I want that to be a meal that we do have a solid thermic effect of food enhancement. Not again, that that's creating long-term metabolic, you know, upward mobility, but at least it's something that you can say, wow, I feel great. I feel sated. Uh, you can relax, you know, even typically using that food. I'm, I'm talking to an international client of mine. We're going through the same conversation. Uh, he's in the off season. We're in a growth phase. And, and when I said that I'm looking for this particular day to be about 150 grams of carbs and maybe an extra 40 or 50 grams of fat. So, you know, this is not for dieting, this is for gaining. And we've decided that he's going to try to gain about five pounds over two months. So incremental strategic gain. But I told him, I think it's going to feel better and do more for you. If you have this food on a day of your choosing, that was a really brutal workout. So pick that day you've trained legs, you squatted heavy, you're deadlifted heavy, or you've done something super high intensity, but it's a, it's a body part or a movement that you're really prioritizing and use it as a post, post-workout at some point meal. doesn't have to be 10 minutes later, but you know the sooner the better. And the reason that's important, uh, if you have all of that food first, and, and I know we talk about the importance of pre-workout meals, pre-workout fueling. But in an off-season, and this is the difference, off-season pre-contest, you don't want that heavy gut load. You don't want your parasympathetic nervous system to be so enhanced that now you're shunting blood away from the muscle tissue. You know, that's a good pre-workout meal isn't that much of a gut bomb. A good pre-workout meal in the off-season 
is something that still is fueling that workout. But the post-workout meal, if you're going to have your refeed in an off-season, that's when you can say, okay, I just destroyed legs. I've just you know squatted. I've just deadlift. Now I'm going to put all of that food on the backside of that workout. That's where you get the most anabolic benefit because now we're using that calorie modulation in the off-season for anabolism. Pre-contest, we're using it more to fuel good workouts and or to recover and set up your next couple of workouts. But again, you're still you're still at a calorie deficit for that week. And so you have less margin to play with. So I typically like these higher calorie days, if they're clean, high carb days pre-workout, to be on a day off because I feel like that's when you can more evenly distribute that glycogen. Again, if I did the same thing as I just talked about in the off-season pre-contest and I just destroyed a workout, then I eat my extra, just moderate, barely up to calorie maintenance levels of clean carbs, I'm going to refill that muscle tissue that I just worked. And then it's kind of gone, you know, some enhancement from that, but not as much as if you take that, that day, relax in an off day, let your body fully assimilate that glycogen. And that's where I think you get more bang for your buck. So that's a little bit pre uh, contest versus maybe in the off season, how to do this. But uh, Adam, what I'd love to have you maybe kind of close us out with is um, just the differences in the amount, like, like why would you give one competitor maybe an extra 30 grams of carbs versus hundred grams of carbs versus extra carbs plus fat, or maybe distribute it over two days instead of one, like what's your mindset of just how to vary those? Yeah, I'll kind of start with where you left off. So, you know, you have more room for air in the off season. So it's likely going to be a higher um, refeed and uh, the timing more so post-workout versus, you know, to really optimize it. There's still the whole aspect of mental health too. And sometimes I think people just need to have a break and not do a refeed like, or just have a cheat meal on a weekend or maybe a relaxed meal. And so inner off season would make a big difference, less room for air in an in season. So you had to think somebody on, you know, 50, 60, 80, 100 grams of carbs, you know, 40, 50 carbs might be a, a good amount. And uh, you, you might need to do such a small refeed with somebody, especially if timing, the timing of the show, you're, you kind of have your back up against the wall to, stay close to a fat burning state as possible. Uh, or, you know, maybe they respond really well to carbs. So even though their intake's low, you can find yourself going up a hundred grams, uh, especially if they're maybe losing weight, uh, maybe looking tighter. One thing people have to realize when you hold water from stress, it, it's not only just showing you that cortisol is high, now aldosterone shifting which uh, has a major stealing effect on progesterone. So, you know, when you see somebody physically just holding a ton of water, you really need to turn the dial for recovery in that instance too. So that might be a reason where maybe I go to a double or maybe even a full diet break because it just certainly might take that much longer to get them out of that stressed state and uh, get their body to relax a little bit more. Uh, there was one more thing I wanted to add to that. Oh, um, as far as, uh, you know, amount of days goes, 
it, you know, I would say the biggest factor in that is how much time do you have? Uh, so, you know, my clients who were three weeks out from the Arnold last week, I knew none of them were going to do diet breaks during that time because we still had a little bit of body fat to lose. But um, one of my guys really needs some recovery. So we did a double refeed versus versus the single. And uh, one of my other clients skipped through so we could actually start increasing calories before peak week instead. So I said, let's get rid of this here, but we're going to put it you know, maybe two days before peak week or a day before peak week instead. Yeah. And, and it's a super good point that they shift, they change. Like, you know, even the same client, as you get closer to the contest, their, their calorie modulations upward may, may increase. They, they may start losing body fat and you want to keep that baseline food intake where it is. But if they're kind of racing toward extra body fat loss, maybe you increase that or maybe you do the opposite. Maybe their baseline days come up but their higher calorie days don't. And so just by sheer percentage, those are now less impactful. Uh, sometimes you get to a point where you're almost stair-stepping everything, where your baseline food comes up and then so does your, your calorie increase days, or you know maybe you're, you wanna create a little more separation there because you're, you're pushing somebody's baseline days down even further. So you want those, those refeed days to be a little bit higher to, to still, as long as it's still on a calorie maintenance level and you're not adding, you know, body fat you've already lost. So there are all kinds of reasons, but, um, you know, I, I think part of it is understanding the physiology. Of course, you got to know why you're making that call. And then it, it is as the scientific method would dictate you're, you're monitoring, you're, you're assessing it's okay. Okay. What's the effect of this experiment and then we we rerun it or we make some modifications and run it again. So every single person does become truly that unique if if you you know what you're doing physiologically. Yeah, I had a girl who was really stalled on loss. And I said, let's recover. We did two refeeds. She looked better. I had her check in after those doubles. And uh, we decided to keep it going for two more days. And then we started dropping things down. I've got my guitar here kind of wrapped around something I can't pull it out. I was going to play a little smashing pumpkins here, Adam. I love it. Uh, what a brand is that? You've got the seagulls on the fretboard. That's a PRS. Oh yeah. Yeah. PRS is known oh, for not. that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the inlays are, are 11 different birds of flight, but uh, oh, that's cool. You have a better end. Your guitar collection looked impressive. I'm going to have to talk to you offline about some, some of your gear over there. Yeah, absolutely. That was a, uh, a, uh, I guess I would say third love of mine aside from coaching, right? <laughs> I, mean, I think we have to have like a, a contest prep university band. What do we need now? Just a drummer? And a, we got Brunacini. He's a bass player. We've got Steve. He could play piano. Yeah, man, we are, we are so close. We are so close. I'm going to find a drummer. We're, we're going to get a drummer. We're going to have a, a CPU band. We might have our best views. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we would. Yeah, let's, let's hear what these clowns can do. Right. All right, man. Well, thanks for jumping in. Thanks so much, Jenna, for the question. I think that was great. I hope that answered everything. We'll certainly follow up with you just personally, but for anybody else, especially this kind of longer form format where we can really dive into a topic more deeply, please let us know what you like to hear. Uh, Adam, we'll see you next time, and we'll see you guys next time in the frat house edition of Contest Prep University.